Hello, welcome. And today I'm going to be talking about time and the idea of time. Before we get too deep into the uh, premise of this talk, I want to, we got to lay some ground rules or some ideas for you to understand the concept of how time works. The first is space-time continuum. Space-time continuum is just a fancy way to say the universe because the universe is a coupled phenomenon between space and time. Uh, the basic equation for time is distance over speed. We all know the speed equation is just distance over time. Manipulate that, you get time is equal to distance over speed. That means we can't have space without time. We can't have time without space. Before there was the universe, there was no space. There was no stuff. There was no time because there was nothing. And then vice versa, you can't have stuff. You can't have things and time not be a part of the equation. The next thing we have to understand is that time is linear. By linear, I just mean that it moves in a straight line. There's it's one series of events after another in chronological order or in a specific order. And when it moves in that one direction, it keeps moving in that direction. So time doesn't stop. You can't stop time. You can't stop. You can't just freeze reality. Time just keeps on keeps on moving. And we can't revert time or backtrack events. If you drop a plate or a, a coffee mug and it shatters, you can't reverse that. You can't reverse that event back before the event happened. The event happened. You might be able to get the mug back to uh, unshattered, or you might be able to repair the mug or get the mug back to its condition before you dropped it, but you can't revert that event that happened. And that's the idea that time is linear. So now we're going to get to the modern view of like one second, which is the basic measurement we have of time how many seconds or you know a minute is just a, uh, a group of seconds 60 counts a second is a count 60 counts is labeled as a minute and then 60 minutes which is 60 counts is an hour so forth and so forth to days years but what is our second our modern day view is just one sixtieth of a minute it's just one you take one second 60 of those, you get a minute. Well, the true definition of one second is the duration of 9 million, or excuse me, 9 billion, 192 million, 631,770 period or oscillations between two hyperfine levels of the ground state of cesium, 133 atom. Let me backtrack and unpack that for you. So one second so if you take the element cesium, it's a element in the periodic table elements, and cesium-133, and you are to, if you were to measure how many times between there, so these two hyperfine lines of the ground state, don't worry about that, but just know that this atom vibrates, it's vibrating, and each period or oscillations between one, between these hyperfine levels, just think of it as you have a level here on the left, a level on the right, and it's bouncing back and forth between those two levels. Like you're running up and down a basketball court. One second is how long it takes for this atom to vibrate 9.1 billion times between these two levels. So it's vibrating extremely fast. 
but that's how long it takes to make that to make 9.1 billion vibrations takes one second that's the true little definition of one second that's how you're able to actually physically quantify one second now that's just the idea of time now we're going to get deeper into the physics of it but first we have to understand that time is relative that's a very cliche or very common thing that's said but i feel like it gets thrown around a lot so we have to understand what do people mean especially like what do scientists mean when they say time is relative it sounds super fancy makes you sound smart when you're talking to somebody like, oh time is relative what does that mean we have to understand inertial reference frames because time is relative to your reference frame so when somebody's making an observation or whether it's observation of time distance whatever it is observations that can be taken inside a reference frame or outside a reference frame if you're looking if you're measuring a collision in a car the car is the inertial reference frame if you're outside of that then you're outside that reference frame does that make sense so if you're in a drag race and you're in the passenger seat of the drag race you're inside the inertial reference frame, making observations or doing measurements, whatever the experiment is. But if let's say you're in a, the stands and you're clocking in the, the car and yourself, you're outside the inertial reference frame you're, or, or you're in your own reference frame. You can have your own reference frame, but the inertial reference frame, the frame that the, the frame of the target observation, you're outside that reference frame. So that's what time is relative means, that time is relative to a respected reference frame. And we're going to get to some examples of that on a few slides. Now, I want to go over time dilation because that's where time gets interesting. And that's what people really get excited about is when time does weird things. On Earth, things aren't moving around fast enough for us to experience crazy amounts of time dilation. Um, but the main thing with time dilation is just speed so i have an equation for people listening the equation is delta t is equal to delta t not over square root of one minus v squared over c squared this looks complicated but it's really not but first we got to understand what proper time is so proper time is time measured by a clock that has the same motion as the observer so you have two different proper times We'll use an example of somebody in a spaceship, like an astronaut, because we have an example of that later. The astronaut has his own clock, his or her own clock, and, um, and then whoever's observing the astronaut on Earth has their own clock. The clock on the spaceship with the astronaut is the astronaut's proper time. The clock on Earth with the observer on Earth, that's the Earth observer's proper time. So delta T means the difference in those two. So you take the difference of the proper time of the astronaut and the proper time of the Earth observer, and that's how you get T naught. And then all you do is just divide that by one minus V squared. That's the velocity of the rocket ship because the person on Earth is measuring the time for the person, the astronaut in the spaceship. So you take the velocity of the spaceship, however fast it's traveling, square, divide that by speed of light, which is three times 10 to the eight meters per second. 
and then you take one minus that number, that's how you get time dilation. Your delta T will give you how much time has been dilated. So that's how it's, um, that's how it's calculated with an equation. There's also another way time can be dilated with you know traveling close to the speed of light as well as gravity. So now we're going back into the concept of the space-time continuum. Think of the space-time continuum as a trampoline. How heavy an object is will dictate how much the space-time continuum gets warped. So if you take a ping pong ball and put it on a trampoline, the trampoline's gonna sink a little bit, but not too much. Or if you take a cue ball and you put it on a trampoline, it'll sink more of the ping pong ball, but it's still not much. Now, if you take a bowling ball, a 20 pound bowling ball, trampolines can have some significant sink to it. Or if you take a, a decent, uh, decently sized boulder and place it on the trampoline, now you have massive sink in the trampoline and the trampoline represents the space-time continuum. So once you start warping space around an object with heavy gravity or heavy mass, then not only does the space get warped, but it inherently then warps time. Uh, for people watching, I have diagrams of the sun, white dwarf, neutron star, and things like the black, black holes, which are one of the most destructive, mis mysterious, uh, most time warping objects in our universe. But you can see how it's so heavily densed on this very fine point to where it really, really warps space and time. So that gets into some interesting phenomenon that happens because the closer you get to the center of gravity, the slower time passes. So that's why the closer you get to a black hole, I don't know if you've guys seen Interstellar where they go on this planet that's close to a black hole. And uh, on the planet, they only experience like 30 minutes, I believe, or maybe 40 minutes. But on this, back on the spaceship, 27 years had went by or something, something crazy like that because they were closer to the black hole on the planet than they were from the spaceship. So the time moved even slower on the planet than it did out in the spaceship. That's a prime example of how this works. They're closer to the center of gravity of the black hole. And so because of that, we actually can experience this. On, we actually experience this on Earth. But since the distances are so small, the effect is so small. So on Earth, if you're actually standing up, time passes time passes faster for your face than it does for your feet, because your feet are closer to the center of gravity than your face. And depending on how tall you are, there's a bigger discrepancy or there's a bigger difference that you feel from your face to your feet. If you're shorter, the difference is smaller. If you're taller, the distance is bigger. So at the top of Mount Everest, a year is about 15 microseconds shorter than it is at sea level. So it is a difference in time that's experienced if you lived on Mount Everest versus sea level. But again, the distances are so small, 15 microseconds shorter, it's, basic, it's basically negligible because it's such a small difference. Now, getting into big differences for time dilation is the twin paradox. I love talking about the twin paradox because it's something that's fascinating with how time and the space-time continuum works. Let's say we have a pair of twins that are both age 30. Obviously, they're a pair of twins. And one twin's an astronaut, and the other one is 
not an astronaut, but they live on Earth and they're going to observe their brother or sister going into space because they're really supportive. Let's say the astronaut twin is going to fly to Sirius, which is, I believe, the fifth closest star to our to our solar system. And they're going to travel at 99% of the speed of light. 99% of the speed of light is approximately 184,000 miles per second. Just to kind of put conception in your head how fast how fast this astronaut's going to be moving. And that's miles per, not miles per hour, miles per second, 184,000 miles per second. So for the astronaut, it's only going to, for the astronaut, the trip's going to take 2.5, two and a half years to get there and back. That's how long it's going to take for the astronaut on the rocket ship, spaceship, whatever you want to call it. The, and their, in their inertial reference frame, the time that they're going to experience is 2.5 years. When the astronaut twin comes back on Earth, 17 years would have passed. So after the end of this voyage, the twin that stayed on Earth will be 47. The astronaut twin will be 32. And the reason why this is so fascinating is because if you look, if you Google how far away Sirius is from Earth, it's about eight-ish light years, eight point something light years away. So that means if you're traveling at the speed of light, it takes a year to get there. So if you're on Earth and somebody travels, we're 99%, so we could basically say at the speed of light for, for, for a sake of math, it takes them eight years to get there. Let's say they do very quick observations. They come right back another eight point whatever. So we round up to 17 years have passed on Earth. Now, the reason why it didn't take eight, eight, 17 years for the astronaut is because speed contracts length. So when you contract length, you're going to take less time if you're in that inertial reference frame. Again, time is relative. So relative to the person traveling very close to the speed of light, length gets contracted. There's a, you can Google, there's an equation for it. But basically, the closer you get to the speed of light, the shorter distance gets contracted. So the person traveling too serious, that distance actually gets warped. Again, just like with gravity, going that speed, that distance gets warped down shorter to where it only takes them 1.25 years to get there and it only takes them 1.25 years to get back and the the and so that's why the time is different for the observer on earth and the observer that's in the rocket ship and again the speed contracts length smaller time variable but that's only for the astronaut's inertial reference frame. So it's relative to that astronaut. I hope that was cool. I hope that was some interesting stuff or if you love learned something. And uh, class is dismissed, but tell me what you guys think. I appreciate feedback. And uh, that is all. So, yeah.